Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, one of the most acclaimed shows on television makes its return. I'm Jeff Braun. Yes, the HBO smash Succession is back for season three. We'll tee it up. I've also got a review of the third season of You on Netflix, and we'll tee up the new weekend movies, including Halloween Kills. But first, the hottest show on HBO is back this weekend. It's season three of Succession. I dropped a bomb. The whole world is watching for my next move. You're the number one trending topic ahead of Tater Tots, and the Pope followed you. Uh, wow. Okay, no, this is not the... Re- is this the real... Uh, right. No, Great. I don't think Thanks, this Greg. is a oh. Where does this end? This friction. I thought my family was f- This is next level. Roman is a knucklehead. Shiv is a fake. And Kenny is screwy. I've seen more than any of them. This life is not for everyone. It's a number on a piece of paper. It's a fight for a knife in the mud. I'm a good guy. I'm better than you. Beast them. We'll go full beast. Succession back Sunday night on HBO. I just watched the first two seasons for the first time in order to be caught up for the season three premiere this weekend. And wow, what a show. I knew it had won a lot of awards and that people who like it really like it. And I knew it was going to be a big deal when it returned. So I wanted to be part of the party. I just though wasn't really expecting it to be as entertaining as it is. If you've not seen it, the show is about a very rich, powerful family in New York that has a business empire. And the show is about how they battle each other and the world to keep their empire going. And one of the reasons I didn't jump in earlier is that I sort of assumed that because it was about the business world that I'd have to know a lot about business and high finance jargon and all this stuff. But nope, not an issue. The show talks about stuff in broad strokes most of the time. It does a terrific job of explaining what needs to be explained and breezing by that which does not. Succession stars Brian Cox as the patriarch Logan Roy. He is a miserable, miserable old man who only cares about money and winning, even if... Heck, especially if it's at the expense of his children, he will steamroll anyone at any time if he thinks it'll help him. And his kids, of course, aren't any better, but that's because they were raised by him and their mother, Logan's ex-wife, is even worse. She's only been in one episode over two seasons. But suffice to say, these kids never learned how to be good people, and it shows. Connor is the oldest. He is a different mom than the others. He's played by Alan Ruck, who you'll remember from many things. Most famously, of course, he was Ferris Bueller's sad friend Cameron. He's not in the family business, and while he does have a lot of issues, he's not as open-faced malicious as the others. He is also amazing at writing eulogies. Shiv is the daughter, played by Sarah Snook. She yo-yos more than anyone else as far as being in the running to replace her dad. She seems to be the most ruthless as well at times, and you know she's not shy about throwing her husband Tom under the bus if she has to. Tom is often the comic relief, but thanks to the stellar work of actor Matthew McFadden, he also has a lot of dramatic thrust and more depth than you would expect. You would feel sorry for him if he wasn't such a jerk to people all the time. Tom's also been mentoring young cousin Greg, played by Nicholas Braun. Good name. Greg the Egg, even more comic relief, but also somehow he's the linchpin to a lot of what's going on in the overall story. Roman is the youngest son, played by Kieran Culkin. He's also the most foul-mouthed and funniest and usually way in over his head. He is a COO, but he's mostly a screw-up. And then, of course, there's Kendall, the middle son, played by Jeremy Strong. He started the series as the heir apparent, but has been 
broken down to a shell of a man throughout two seasons. And honestly, I will say that Strong's performance in succession is the best performance on all of TV since Brian Cranston as Walter White in Breaking Bad. It's just amazing what he's doing. The entire cast is phenomenal, and Strong sticks out even among the rest, which is saying something. All these people are horrible human beings, but really only Strong can make you feel any empathy towards Kendall. I mean, Kendall's a broken man, but he deserves much of what uh, what is being done to him, except that he sort of really doesn't deserve it, nor do his siblings, because everything can be traced back to the horrible parents that raise them. But uh, Kendall, I mean, just an astonishing performance that has seen him go from a master of the universe type to this emotionally destroyed wisp of a human. And then there's apparently maybe even another level to this performance, because I think he might have been playing possum a little bit towards the end of uh, season two. At the end of that season, Kendall makes his power move to take over the business. The third time he stabbed his dad in the back in two seasons. So this season, season three, will clearly be the fallout of that move at the end of last season's finale. And I can't wait to see what happens, Brett. And it all starts Sunday night. I'm pumped, especially after yeah. that excited review. It's fun to hear a fresh perspective on that. And uh, you put it in more succinct terms than I would have because, yeah, I remember when I first was started watching that, I think the the sister in the family seemed like the, the, the character to cheer for, and then she turned out to be as bad as the rest of them. And <laughs> yeah. I just thought, is there a, a more disgusting family on television? And I also found myself wondering, like, none of these people are likable. Why am I watching this? But I guess I think that's the point. It's sort of fascinating to see this family try to consume itself all all because of greed. You know, one of the I think the trailer for the second season, Brian, Brian Cox's character says money wins every time and succession would win yeah. the Emmy if it were up for grabs this year. It wasn't in the mix because they didn't have a I think they, they, the second season finished in. August of 2020 or I don't know. 2019. 2019. Oh, okay. Maybe spring then 2019. Yeah. It won the Emmy the year before, but it wasn't eligible this year. So next year. Okay. Yeah. You can almost lock it. You can almost lock it up that succession (laughs) will win the Emmy, but who knows? There's a lot of good TV out there, including some of the stuff we're going to quickly tell you about right now, because we want to go through the fall preview list for what's coming this week. And starting this weekend, Friday, October 15th, we've got I Know What You Did Last Summer, new show on Prime. They already did the TV treatment for Scream. I think that was an MTV show, and it aired in uh, Canada on Netflix. You Season 3, that's on Netflix, and I'm going to have more on this in our next segment. I've got a preview and a review of Season 3 of You. NBC has a new reality show from Ava DuVernay called Home Sweet Home. Sunday, October 17th, as Jeff mentioned, Succession Season 3. That's HBO slash Crave. Fear the Walking Dead Season 7 on AMC. I didn't even know they were still making that show. I thought it got canceled. I don't know why. I canceled it in uh, <laughs> Season 3, I think. I gave up on it. Maybe Season 4, uh, I w- which I was actually enjoying that season, but I just... I never went back to it. And then High t- Town Season 2 on Stars. Now, uh, here's something interesting that is coming on October 19th. On Showcase, we have... Well, I'll just play the clip. Look at that. Someone took the butcher knife. A killer new series is coming to Showcase. Hi, I'm Chucky. You want to play? The legend returns. Dude. 
You have a serious doll problem. If you only knew. Now, he's taking Jake along for the ride. Everywhere Jake Wheeler goes, death seems to follow. And one thing is certain. This creepy doll just creeps me the hell out. Chucky. New series premieres Tuesday on Showcase. Also available on Stack TV. Everyone's favorite doll is back and more notorious than ever in the new television series, Chucky, which, of course, is the doll from the movie Child's Play and the many sequels and the son of Chucky and the bride of Chucky and the cocker spaniel of Chucky. I don't know how many they even made. but Chucky uh, Saves Christmas? Yeah, sure. That's right. <laughs> that sounds about right. So it takes place in this idyllic American town, and it's thrown into chaos after a vintage good guy doll turns up at a suburban yard sale. And soon everyone must grapple with a series of horrifying murders that begin to expose the town's deep hypocrisies and hidden secrets. So I know that uh, Brad Dourif is back as the voice of Chucky because there was a remake that came out in recent years where Mark Hamill was the voice of Chucky. And while Mark Hamill is... Great at that voice work. No one bought it. No one cared for that. So I think they, they saw an opportunity to continue to tell, tell the story of Chucky, but just on television form. So that debuts Tuesday on Showcase. Also, uh, now it's listed as Hulu in the States, only murders in the building season finale. What day does it air on Disney Plus? It's on Wednesdays here on Disney Plus, yeah. Okay. And that's the one with Steve Martin and Martin Short. Yep, and that's fantastic. And barring a stellar season of Succession, will likely be my favorite movie or TV show of the year. And I think that's getting a second season too. If I yeah, it got renewed already. So. Okay, awesome. Cool. Bachelorette season eighteen on ABC. Also on ABC, a new show called Queens. And I'm just going to read this verbatim from the official description of the show. Brianna, Jill, Valeria, and Naomi once appeared as the nasty bitches in the 1990s. Together, the four of them not only turned the world of hip-hop upside down, but also achieved legendary status through their music. The four women are now in their 40s, unworldly and largely estranged. By reuniting the four, there is now a chance to return to old fame and vigor. But will the former megastars, also known as Professor Sex, Butter Pecan, The Thrill, and Explicit Lyrics managed to achieve this ambitious goal. So it's about a former hip-hop group getting back in their 40s. It's kind of neat. Some of the stars include former music stars Brandy and Eve. So some genuine uh, hip-hop and urban music stars coming to the fore. So that could be cool. Wednesday, October 20th. The finale for American Horror Story Double Feature, second half of the season, is known as Death Valley. So the first half was tremendous. I only watched the first episode of the second half, but it was good. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think this has actually been one of American Horror Story's best overall seasons yet. And then Thursday, we've got season nine of The Blacklist. And I can't believe they're still making this show because the gimmick got old. Oh, boy, probably by season three, maybe even season four. So... I guess good for them to figure out how to keep telling that story. But in a moment, we want to tell you more about season three of You. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. This weekend, the popular Netflix show You debuts its third season. And I've got a sneak peek for you. You obsessed with her? Why don't you love me anymore? 
something and I can feel it. Why does everybody think I'm impulsive? You are not making me kill anyone. Neither one of you is going to kill your spouse. You're many things, but you are not murderers. I never thought to wonder what happens after boy gets girl. We're a team, okay? Death to his part. Season one of You debuted back in 2018 based on a book called Hidden Bodies. It's about a guy named Joe, and in that first season, he develops a crush. And that crush turns out to be something far more sinister because he becomes obsessed and he does everything he can to win her over he stalks her and that everything he can that includes removing whatever he deems to be an obstacle so he does bad things but he believes he's a good guy he believes he's doing these things for good reasons that he's doing these things for her so he either doesn't understand where the line is or he just simply can't control himself But it was a delightfully twisted show because even though Joe is clearly a bad guy, he's likable. So it's kind of like Dexter in the sense that you find yourself sort of rooting for the bad guy. Although that's not necessarily fair to compare the two characters directly because Dexter Morgan very clearly had a moral code. He was a serial killer, yes, but he only killed other killers. He was taken out the trash. For Joe, sometimes the bad things he does are to good people and sometimes bad people. Also, the two characters narrate their respective shows, so you could also just call you a steamier, more romantic version of Dexter. Jump to season three, which again debuts this weekend. Joe is now married, and he has a baby. And Dysfunctional barely begins to describe this family because his wife... I don't want to give too much away, and I can't really, like, you know, I don't want to spoil how season one ended, never mind season two, but his wife is kind of like him. I'm only eight episodes in. I did not make it to the finish line for the season, but wow, I am loving it, and part of the reason why I'm loving it, and I, I can't quite remember how much of this stuff they had in those first two seasons, but there is a lot of great satire in this show and a lot of great commentary. Like, for example, there's this supporting character who is a successful social media influencer, and she is the phoniest person on earth. She has the most annoying voice. She's just so, so fake. So I like that. Not that I, not that I'm suggesting everything on social media is phony and fake, but there are so many people who consider themselves to be influencers or who are genuine influencers but they're just fake. Like they, they don't actually practice what they peddle. They've just found something that they can exploit and make a bunch of money off of it. I guess that's entrepreneurship. It's just with social media, I find it more annoying. Um, vicious criticism of anti-vaxxers. Like there's an entire episode devoted to anti-vaxxers. So that one, I'm curious to see how that one is going to be received. They have good commentary on things like Missing white women syndrome. There's a scene where the guys go out hunting and the masculinity on display is over the top. So I I couldn't quite tell if that was an attack on toxic masculinity or was it a way 
to say it's okay to be a man, just don't be a jerk. I don't know. Um, I will say that the flashbacks are momentum killers in this show. Every time they go, they do a flashback to his childhood, it just slows it right down. And uh, another thing, oh, on the satire front, there's one scene that really caught me off guard because it was even mocking, you know, the whole women supporting women movement as as kind of be a BS way to make money. As though they, the, a lot of the women supporting women are just exploiting each other and manipulating each other to try to make money. So, yeah, no one's safe. It's like Family Guy. No one is safe. Nothing is safe in this show. Never mind the fact that it's just entertaining. It's a fascinating examination and exploration of love and relationships and complications in relationships and how does one stay happy. And it's all done through the eyes of these two twisted people who do lots of bad things and I've got two episodes left and the eighth episode was explosive so I can't wait to finish it off I can't recommend the show enough you should watch Joe season one two and three out this weekend on Netflix up next can't wait to hear what Jeff has to say about no time to die you're listening to the couch potatoes welcome back to the couch potatoes I'm Jeff he's Brett and it's time to talk some James Bond for the fifth and final time Daniel Craig is 007 in no time to die James now your enemy is my enemy how did that happen well you live long enough you were double O two years so stay in your lane what is it you don't know what this is Oh my God. Who is he? No time to die. Rated PG-13. Tickets now on sale. This is the last Daniel Craig era Bond film, and it knows it. There are a lot of tie-ins to the previous four movies, and it certainly wouldn't hurt to brush up on them a little bit before heading out to see No Time to Die. I rewatched Casino Royale and Skyfall in the last couple of weeks. Also probably should have watched Spectre. That was the last movie, and No Time to Die has a lot of very direct storylines following up on that. Leah Seydoux, for example, returns as Madeline Swan, a love interest of Bond. She would be the main returnee. We also get some pop-ins from others that have shown up in the series, like Christoph Waltz as Blofeld and Jeffrey Wright as CIA agent Felix Leiter. And of course, there's the usual stable of the MI6 employees that work with Bond, Naomi Harris as Moneypenny, Ben Wishaw as Q, and Ray Fiennes as M. As for the newbies to the series, we get Ana de Armas playing an agent of some sort. She's not in it very much. Lashana Lynch plays a double-O agent, as we heard in the clip there. And Rami Malek plays the bad guy. His name is Lucifer Safin. That sounds sort of like Lucifer Satan, but not quite. And as far as Bond villains go, Malek's character just isn't that interesting at all. Frankly, he barely even registers. He may be behind everything, but story-wise, we're much more interested in what's going on in Bond's life, his relationship with Madeline, and even his interactions with his co-workers. And the action is mostly all, you know, henchmen-related, so Rami Malek isn't even around that much. It's a very strange feeling because his evil plan is, you know, suitably evil in terms of potential mass casualties but he doesn't feel menacing or particularly clever or intriguing. He's just a guy with bad skin who shows no emotion. So weak sauce on the bad guy front in No Time to Die, but 
The good news is the movie is still a lot of fun. The action is terrific. You can always count on a James Bond movie to show you a couple of crazy stunts that you haven't seen before. And there's some really fun motorcycle stunts in the first part of the movie. There's also a lot of hand-to-hand combat and gunplay throughout. And I've noticed in rewatching some of those other movies that uh, Daniel Craig's Bond is big on trading up on guns during a fight. He starts with his little pistol. It's the one he's holding in all the posters, but it never takes long for him to end up holding a machine gun of someone that he just wasted. It's all great stuff. Staged well by director Kerry Joji Fukunaga. He directed that first season of True Detective, if you're wondering who he is. And in fact, the movie clips along pretty nicely, and I can't believe I'm saying it, but the two-hour, 45-minute runtime just wasn't an issue. It really didn't feel like it was too long at all. I mean, does the movie need to be two hours and 45 minutes? Probably not. I'm sure there's a two-hour version of this that would be great as well, but it works as is. It doesn't feel long, and there's nothing in it that really sticks out like something that should have been left out. It's all good stuff. It's just a lot of stuff. And no one in my theater seemed to mind, and it really seemed like people were into this movie. It was a full house Monday morning matinee that I went to last week, and there were a lot of families there, not like people our age and their 10-year-old kids, but people our age and their 70-year-old parents. A lot of old dads who rarely go to the movies got a Thanksgiving treat, I think. The guy beside me was having a blast, and he said afterwards, well, that was done very well. It was probably my favorite theater experience so far this year. I said last week, you know, there's always this nostalgia factor for any James Bond movie because these movies have been around all of our lives. So that, combined with the delay on this particular one, the fact that it is the final one of this particular iteration, and of course the pandemic of it all, made this screening, you know, a little more special than usual. And now that Daniel Craig is done with the gig, I guess we have a couple of years of who will be the next Bond business to get through. And I don't think that it's as big a deal as it once was. You know, same thing goes with casting Batmans. And in both cases, they do well with their hiring to just base it on acting and not on a famous name. Because remember, when they announced Daniel Craig as 007, most of us didn't really know who he was. He had been in Munich and Road to Perdition in smaller roles. And that's what we knew him from, if we knew him at all. So there's a good chance that whomever they choose to be the next Bond, we don't even really know them at this point. I'll be interested to see if they carry over the other characters and actors who play them, or if it'll be a clean slate across the board. Because, you know, Judy Dench was M in all of the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies and then she was M in most of the Daniel Craig ones so that means that those James Bonds are the same guy right but you know Bond's also been around since 1962 so clearly Sean Connery's Bond and Daniel Craig's Bond can't be the same guy because Craig would have to be 105 years old or something for that to make sense I don't know I haven't paid that much detail to all that stuff and we're probably not supposed to although I mean Desmond Llewellyn did play Q from uh, Sean Connery's era through to Pierce Brosnan's era. So maybe it is all connected. And, you know, like the Simpsons, Simpsons were just supposed to ignore the passage of decades of time. For me, though, this era has been my favorite. Daniel Craig has made the character much more complex and interesting than just this guy who rattles off a bunch of catchphrases and looks handsome in a suit. The movies have really delivered on their stunts and all the other action as well. So it's been a sweet 15-year run since Casino Royale. And I'm excited to see what they do next, who they bring in to do it. For now, though, I do highly recommend No Time to Die. Even with a boring bad guy in it, I'll give it three and a half couch cushions out of five. All right. And if that's not up your alley, maybe what's new in theaters this weekend will be Halloween Kills. Michael Myers is alive. You had a knife in your stomach. You and Allison should not have to keep running. 
evil dies tonight. I'm not just gonna sit and watch another innocent person die. If you track Michael's victims, that's a straight line to Michael's childhood home. What do we do? We fight. Let's hunt him down. So this is the follow-up to the 2018 movie Halloween, which was in fact a sequel to the 1978 original. They like this is the 11th movie. This new one, Halloween Kills, it's the 11th Halloween movie. But this particular series, they're just wiping the slate clean. They're saying all the other movies that happened after that first Halloween never happened. It got good reviews, 79%. It was super, super violent. And it imagined, reimagined Jamie Lee Curtis's character as this militarized recluse. Her home is a fortress. And she tries to kill Michael Myers when she hears that he's been released or being transferred between facilities. She knows that he's going to break out, and sure enough, he does. Goes on a rampage, so she goes after him. And uh, I liked it. I think it was maybe... uh, I feel like... I I feel like I'm kind of a dork when I say this, but it almost felt too violent. But I, I think that's part of what makes this movie the kind of genre that it is, the slasher movie. It's supposed to be violent. So I realize that's maybe a bit of a contradiction or maybe I'm just watch. I shouldn't be watching it if I think it's too violent. But anyway, as far as this one goes, Halloween Kills, ABC's Jason Nathanson has more. We are the survivors of Michael Myers. Halloween Kills is the sequel to 2018's Halloween star Jamie Lee Curtis saying, if the last movie was about female trauma and violence against women. 2021's movie is about a mob violence, a group of people, collateral damage coming together saying we are as mad as hell, we are not taking it anymore, the system is broken, we are taking matters into our own hands. Jason Nathans and ABC News, Hollywood. The difference with this one and the last one from 2018 is it's not getting the best reviews. It was at 49% last time I checked. And that's too bad because anybody who was a fan of Halloween, one of my buddies is a Michael Myers lunatic. He's been waiting for this for a year because much like No Time to Die, it was delayed for a year because of the pandemic. So that means the threequel, or I suppose the fourquel, depending on how you look at this, because these three movies are sequels to the original. Halloween Ends comes out October 22. I'm going to go see this, I think, because, like I said, my my buddy wants to see it, and I promised him I'd go see it. So You yeah. can have it. Yeah, you enjoy it, Brett. I, I've seen part of the first Halloween, and it was like a Sunday morning with the sun was up and everything. It was nice, and it still freaked me out for like two weeks, and I only watched 20 <laughs> minutes of it. I didn't even see him kill anybody. I just saw him walking around. Like, nope, <laughs> that's not good. That mask is too much, so you enjoy your Halloween movies. I shall. <laughs> All right. Uh, also out this weekend, Matt and Ben together again in Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. Each man is to fight to the death. Discover the unbelievable true story that is now the cinematic event of the year. Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jody Comer, and Ben Affleck. I want him to answer for what he has done. Critics rave. No one does it like Ridley Scott. Let them go! Let them go! Let them go! The Last Duel. Rated R. Experience it on the big screen October 15th. Tickets on sale now. 
The Last Duel is about knights in olden times, a historical drama about one knight, Matt Damon, who accuses another, Adam Driver, of sexually assaulting his wife, played by Jodie Comer. And so he challenges him to a duel, and uh, she'll die if Damon loses, and he also, you know, will die if he loses, of course, but at least he can try to do something about it. She's stuck with these ridiculous laws of the Middle Ages, and Ben Affleck is the guy in charge by the looks of it. Damon and Affleck wrote the movie along with uh, Nicole Holofcener, and it's the first time they've written the movie since Goodwill Hunting, for which, of course, they famously won an Oscar. Ridley Scott, also pretty good with olden times action, having made Gladiator 20 years ago and tons of other stuff since. He likes the swordplay eras, so this is very much in his lane. It's at 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it looks like a good one. It's uh, Once you get by the weird hair of the time, if both Matt uh, Damon and Ben Affleck have very strange looking hair in the trailers that's uh, kind of been interesting but I am f- looking forward to see what these guys got up to in this movie and I think I'll check out The Last Duel this week Brett. Alright and Halloween Kills is a sequel to a slasher movie. In a moment we got to tell you about a trailer that came out for another sequel to a slasher movie you're listening to The Couch Potatoes I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes and this kind of came like a sneak attack to me because I forgot that this movie was even coming out. It's a trailer for Scream. Hello? It's happening. Three attacks so far. Do you have a gun? I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Something about this one just feels different. Samantha? I'm, I know who you are. I've been through this a lot. This is your life now, which means that whoever this is is going to keep coming for you. You ready for this? Never. The first Scream movie came out in 1996, and it spawned three sequels, the last of which came out in 2011. There was also a television version of this story, and uh, Jeff... You've seen the movie. I can't believe you like the the original three Scream movies. How would you summarize Scream? As uh, yeah, I don't know why I've watched them either, but I did really enjoy them. And uh, I don't know, they're but they're horror comedies. There's, there's so much more genuine laughs in them, or there there's like a winking at the audience, so you, it's not as traumatic when this uh, killer starts killing people as it would be in say a Halloween movie kind of thing. So I think that's what sort of lets me skate by and watch these things. But uh, I've not seen the fourth one. I've not. Is that one any good? I don't remember it being any anything to write home about. Yeah, they gave it a great. valiant effort, but it didn't quite work. So twenty five years after that initial streak of brutal murders shocked the quiet town of Woodsboro, a new killer has donned the ghost face mask and starts targeting a group of teenagers to resurrect secrets from the town's deadly past. So Nev Campbell is back as Sidney Prescott, Courtney Cox is back as Gail Weathers, and David Arquette returns as Dewey Riley. And, I don't know, it looks pretty good. Whatever his link is to our past, it's pulled us all back here. And I won't sleep until he's in the ground. All right, so if you don't want to go see a slasher movie, that's out on January 14th, by the way. Maybe uh, something that's coming out in a couple of months on Disney Plus is more up your alley. 
Yeah, it's a remake of a Christmas cla- a Christmas classic coming to Disney Plus next month, and it's called Home Sweet Home Alone. Twas the night before Christmas vacation. And the fun was in full swing. You have split our family onto two separate flights. Mom! Max, please! The family left for their big vacation. Is that everyone? The cars are leaving now! But forgot one little thing. Mom? Dad? Uncle Blake? They don't even know I'm here. They don't even know I'm here. Home Sweet Home Alone looks like a one-for-one remake of the original Home Sweet Home with Macaulay Culkin 30 years ago, just with uh, some British accents, I guess. Archie Yates plays the kid this time. He was a scene stealer in Jojo Rabbit a couple of years ago. Uh, Comedian Ashleen B., who we heard there, plays his mom, and the bad guys are played by Ellie Kemper and Rob Delaney this time. Cast also includes Keenan Thompson, Pete Holmes, Ali Mackey, and Chris Parnell. And, oh, the guy who played Buzz in the original will reprise his role, apparently, as Buzz. Except now, obviously, he's a full-grown adult and he's a cop. Home Sweet Home Alone debuts on Disney Plus November 12th. This is my house. I have to defend it. Orange stripe center pocket. Ooh. That did not sound right. I am trying to get home to my son. Who is alone. I'm scared. And he needs his mother. Sweet home alone. Oh no, a ladder! You think I'm that stupid? Yes, I do. Only on Disney Plus. All right, is this going to be worth it? What do you think? Well, if it's on Disney Plus, and you know, I'm already paying for Disney Plus, so uh, I will give it a shot. I think if uh, maybe my girlfriend's kids are interested in it, but I'm, you can you can just smell it a mile away that this movie will end, and everyone on the planet will say. The original's better. So yeah. what's the point? You know? I don't know. I really don't know why you would even try to do this unless you're going all out, full-blown theatrical release. We're bringing out all the big guns, but yeah, it could be worth having a shot at because even the knockoff Home Alone might be fun because it's still Home Alone. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.